the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As promised, it's a delight to welcome back our presidential and cultural historian, Dr. Tevi Troy, author of several books, most recently Fight House, Rivalries in the White House from Truman to Trump, has an important new article in the new issue of Commentary Magazine, which dedicated its issue to issues of wokeness. Tevi is taking on Wokeness in Medicine, titled Wokeness MD, The Threat to Medicine. It's a heck of an important article. Tevi, thanks for taking this on, and welcome back. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me. And I also just want to say that the entire issue of commentary is worth reading. It's called Woke the Threat. It's a very stark color uh, cover. It's all black with just those three words on the top, and then it lists who the authors are, and I am privileged to be among them. Well, they knew what they were doing by having you. It's incredible, by the way, the timing. You always seem to have your finger on something that I wish I could, uh, as well as you, because I have just, oh... In the last two weeks, noticed an uptick of calls and emails from people in the medical profession talking about how wokeness and particularly, obviously, there's a mandate situation going on as well, how it's really changed medicine. I have a physician friend of mine who says, aside from obviously the tremendous lives, that, the tremendous number of lives that have been lost, the second biggest hit um, the second institution, or maybe institutionally the one hit hardest, has been the whole notion of medicine and science because it's been distorted so badly over the past year and a half. It's been a long time coming, as you point out. Sally Sattel has been on this for a while. Tell me where we are. Tell me what made you uh, think to write this, and what is the big takeaway? Yeah, well, well, first of all, Sally Sattel was warning about uh, political correctness in medicine 20 years ago. She wrote her book, PCMD, which is a, an excellent book and a good start for me when I was working on the article. But it's just gotten so much worth set, and it's so much more pervasive. It's in every part of the culture. And even some of the things that she talked about in PCMD were things that were, in retrospect, relatively minor yeah. compared to the kinds of yeah. things we're talking about. What I address in the article is really three things. Number one is, can you still get fair treatment, and is wokeness a threat to fair treatment? Or is, are people going to be treated differently based on their, their skin color or their race or their intersectional characteristics? Mm -hmm. The second is, can there still be free exploration in medicine and science? Can we actually look at what the data says and determine what the best course of treatment is or what the best new therapies are without bringing this uh, woke idea, uh, ideology into distorting uh, what, what comes through in terms of the new scientific discoveries? And then third is, are we still training doctors in a way that makes the best doctors? We all know the famous boot camps that doctors used to go through, especially that brutal year of training, uh, your residency where you're, you're working very long hours, at, uh, but you're learning medicine in a very intensive way. And will wokeness, and, and part of this is not just wokeness, but also the how uh, everybody gets a trophy culture, which I think is, is related but slightly different. Uh, but can we still get those top-notch doctors 
out of this kind of distorted system once it has the woke lens on it. So those are the three things I look at. I say that I am worried in all three areas, although I am careful in the article not to say that things are over yet or things are you, you can't get fair treatment for your doctor. I don't say those things. I say this is something we really need to watch and we need to push back against. We are also getting, uh, while all of this is going on, we are getting anecdotes, and you you go through a lot of anecdotes. We're also getting anecdotes about licensed uh, physicians and nurses who have heard that their licenses could be suspended if they, or or you know, they have to be up for for board review over the decisions they are making with regard to such things as vaccines. So a lot of things seem to be um, having a lot more. Uh, woke consequence than they ever used to do. Used to think doctors were fairly sacrosanct, right? Or nurses. Seems like that has been chipped away at and may be eroding a little bit. Your sense? Yeah, not not only sacrosanct, but caring about the patient regardless of who the patient was. I I list a story in there from the movie Death Witch, which yeah, is the remake yeah. with Bruce Willis, not right. the original with Bruce Wanson, but with, with Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson yeah. And, yeah. and in that story, I'm telling how they try and establish the fact that Bruce Willis, who later becomes a vigilante, is a good character. And the way they do it is by showing that he cares equally about saving the lives of two patients, one who is a police officer who's been shot, and second is the murderer who shot the police officer. Mm-hmm. And he fails to sh- save the police officer, but he does everything he can to save the murderer. Mm-hmm. And that is evidence of his good character, because that is such an incontrovertible aspect of medicine that's such a key tenet of medicine that you treat everybody equally, regardless of, of who they are, whether they're their morality or their skin color or their proclivities. You have to treat everybody equally, and that, that is a core tenet of Western medicine and something we've rated for a long time. We in Arizona, Tevi, you know this state, uh, having been here several times, but we in Arizona probably are not fully immune, but a little more immune than some of the stuff that's going on in the East Coast. And it's impossible to thus for a lot of people, unless they have a direct interaction with this, to know exactly what's going on. The story that you told me of Brigham, that you write about a Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston is an incredible eye opener and an incredible illustration of the kinds of stuff that they are trying to do. For those that don't know, I don't know. If, uh, there's a lot of great hospitals in hospital in Boston, <laughs> a lot, but Brigham and, Brigham and Women's is certainly one of them. Tell tell the audience what what they tried to do here. Yeah, absolutely. There there are two woke doctors there who said that they are they wanted this concept of treating intersectional people with preferential treatment over people without intersectional characteristics. When I say intersectional, uh, I'm talking about the um, this theory that every characteristic you have that is different from being a white heterosexual male makes you in some ways better. And so the least intersectional person is a white heterosexual male, and that person should get the least good treatment, according to this theory. Uh, It's terrible, it's abhorrent, and Brigham and Women's Hospital, to its credit, said we're not going to do that. But I also detail in the article that one of the women who who uh, promoted this theory she was later became a senior health official in the New York City Health Department, showing that there are no consequences for her abhorrent idea. This um, this is the kind of thing that's going on. Talk about the Yale School of Medicine lecture. I remember talking about this, uh, Aruna Kalanani. This is the kind of stuff that they're going on with, too. This is, this is an incredible thing, if you don't mind talking about that. 
Yeah, the woman who you mentioned was a psychiatrist. She was invited by Yale to give a lecture. And in this lecture, she talks about how she fantasizes about killing white people yep. and how she would be thrilled to do so and walk away from that type of murder. And I just don't think someone like that should be given a platform by Yale University. Right. Now, again, Yale put out some mealy mouth statement saying that this is not in line with our, our beliefs, but they still gave her the platform. Mm -hmm. And as far as I can tell, she has not been rebuked. and She hasn't lost her license. She's still out there spouting her terrible, terrible theories. And it is scary that someone like that is, uh, is part of the medical profession and out saying the kinds of things that you say. I've seen doctors, irrespective of whether one likes Donald Trump or not or approved of his presidency or not, I saw two doctors on CNN, two physicians, one a professor at Yale, one from some other place, talking about, in fact, the professor at Yale wrote a book, an entire book with other physician contributors, which was, I thought, what was a violation of what used to be known as the Goldwater Rule, diagnosing Donald Trump's mental illness, having never even met the man, much less, much, much less taken a, you know, a specific medical inventory of him. Saw that. I saw a physician talking about Donald Trump being worse than Hitler. There seems to be a need, what, a reach into medicine that not only has infected it with politics, but now seems to demand politics from it as well. It seems to be these things that used to not be political, where we say politics is now everywhere. It's infected a lot of places we thought impervious, medicine being one of them. Yeah, and what are the limits? Does the doctor look at someone because they're a Trump supporter and say, I'm not going to treat well, you? Well, that's right. That's a great point. <laughs> where do, Yeah, never mind Trump. What about a supporter? Right. 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 I mean, you know, Trump's just one guy. But, uh, you know, there, there's, uh, what, 74 million people who voted for him. Do all of them not get treated by the that woman at Yale or the people at Brigham and Women's Hospital? So, uh, yeah, that, it's a really disturbing idea and uh, something that we, again, as I said, I, I don't think it is completely taken over medicine, but it's something that we have to be aware of and something we have to push against. And, and this is a larger point. You and I previously talked about my article about the woke wars today and comparing it to the political correctness wars of the 90s. And what I really don't want to be is a hand-wringing conservative, a conservative who just says, oh, look, these things are terrible, aren't they awful, and wring my hands about it. What I'm trying to do is call attention to certain things, but also start to suggest solutions, how we can get past this. And, and I think highlighting this and recognizing that uh, in the first article that, that I wrote, that free speech is such an important value to Western civilization and to liberal democracy and to, and to America. And that's really the ground on which we need to stand. And here, this Hi Hippocratic Oath, this idea that every patient should be treated fairly and equally, that is a good ground for us to stand on and an important ground for us to defend. Fantastic. Boy, you're good at this. You ended right on the post of the music here. Let me uh, hold. Can I keep you a little bit? I've done this once or twice. Yeah, you've done this once or twice. Can I keep you a little bit? Absolutely. I'm Seth Leaps, and he's Tevi Troy. Questions about wokeness in medicine. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight to have with us presidential historian Tevi Troy, author of several books and uh, great essay, important essay in the current issue, November issue of Commentary Magazine, Wokeness MD, The Threat to Medicine. Tevi, uh, we covered a little bit of the – you broke your essay into three parts, the first part and uh, some of the racial aspects. Talk to me and the audience a little bit about the second part which is about, um, well, scientific inquiry, really. Yes, Seth. The thing about scientific inquiry is you have to be able to question the prevailing wisdom 
and see, sometimes it's wrong, and that's how we get to a better place. And in fact, I cite our mutual friend Jonathan Rausch in this, in his, in his latest book, The Constitution of Knowledge, where he talks specifically about medicine and science and scientific innovation in the only way that we got the scientific revolution and the medical revolution that has brought so many innovations and so much good to so many people is because people use the scientific method and were willing to question things and say, hey, this is wrong, the data says this isn't happening, the world is not flat, the four humors don't govern the body. All, all these crazy notions of the past, we're willing to disregard them if they don't work, if they don't hold up to the scientific method. And what we're seeing in the woke world is if something doesn't go along with the woke view of the world, then they don't want to accept it. And I tell the story of a guy named Norman Chang, who's a well-respected cardiologist, who wrote a peer-reviewed article that questioned whether affirmative action was bringing the best candidates to medicine and whether it was actually leading to uh, better, more talented doctors. And again, this was peer-reviewed, and once it got out that he had questioned this prevailing wisdom, there was a push to retract the article and fire him, and he's actually now sued his employer on, and pushing back on this. But uh, that whole idea that you can't even question some of these notions is really worrisome, and it's not going to get us to the place we need to be in terms of developing the best cures, the best doctors, the best medicine. And this has huge downstream effects that in terms of we're not going to get the next level of medical innovation. We're not going to get the next, I know some people disagree with the vaccine, but you know we're not going to get the next vaccine. We're not going to get the next Merck therapeutic on, on COVID if we can't use the scientific method to question new ideas and question prevailing wisdom. So it becomes an interesting kind of duality of sorts. What is the point of medicine? What is the point of a physician? Uh, this uh, this doctor, uh, was it Norman Wing? Norman yeah. Wing, a professor of uh, cardiology, if, I'm, if I remember. This, yeah. this, this Dr. Wang, professor of cardi- cardiology, views medicine as um, helping to save lives. In fact, I believe that was one of the conclusions he reached, which is diversity may be a good in and of itself, but it doesn't, in fact, save lives. There is another view that diversity is, I suppose, in the world, woke world that we now live in, diversity is as or more important than just the saving and caring of lives, right? That is what's going on here. That's the battle for medicine, isn't it? Yeah, and, and again, let's ask the question. Right? Is, are there these life-saving benefits to diversity? There may be other benefits, but are there these life-saving benefits? And, and one thing I'll just push back on a little bit, you said this woke world in which we live in. Okay. I'm not willing to acknowledge that. I don't think we live in a woke world yet. I think we are threatened by the prospect of a woke world, and that's why I wrote this article, and that's why I'm speaking out on this issue, to push back on this notion that we will fall into this woke world. Well, that's how it happens. People ignore Right. You're absolutely right. People ignore it, and then they wake up one day to find that the world has changed, right? <laughs> this is this is what uh, parents are finding out about uh, what's been going on in the curricula in schools for so many years, right? They finally got to read it, and holy smokes. Um, so you're right. You're right to say that. Um, so I'm glad you're bringing it out. Uh, yeah, t- Barry Weiss has an essay in the same issue of commentary where she talks about what we need to push back, and she has a one-word summary, courage. Yeah. You need the courage to push back. You need the courage to ask questions. Well, well that's, that's a great point, courage. And I'm always 
always happy to talk about it and quote Aristotle and, and all the rest on it. It's important. But I also sometimes worry about people who tell others to be courageous when their jobs aren't at stake. Barry ain't one of them. She gave up her job. She has all the credibility <laughs> to give that advice. But for some folks, it's hard, maybe less less difficult for physicians in some ways or another. But it is a it is a point that's worth considering that someone like Dr. Wang, given the internet, given the world we live in, and it is the world we live in, this controversy will follow him the rest of his career. Oh yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Um, I also talk about this um, uh, an AMA podcast, yeah, where they raise the question of whether people are treated equally, and then the uh, the, the doctor on the podcast said. That uh, well, of course, physicians treat people equally, which you know is, as I said, a core tenet of Western medicine and American medicine. And there was a holy uproar over that issue. And the doctor who works for the AMA, who's in charge of the podcast, who had nothing to do with the actual podcast itself, he had to resign. Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. the pushback. Yeah, right. Uh, the the mass resignations that uh, the the mass we we let's just call them purges. Let's call them for what they are. I'll call them for that anyway. Uh, I, <laughs> okay, we'll call them a purge. Talk to me about that third element: training. The risk to training. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that medicine is famously a type of boot camp where you really. Have to. I have relatives who've gone through medical school recently, and they talk about how the amount you have to memorize is so overwhelming. You just have to have so much knowledge to be a doctor, and then you go through that training period in terms of the residency, and you've got to be on call all the time, and you work thirty-hour or whatever the number of hours shifts, and you work really, really hard. And now there's pushback in the medical schools about, well, maybe we shouldn't make people work so hard, or maybe. We shouldn't chide people for being late, and it's, it's somewhat nonsensical. But uh, it, it seems to be the pushback of uh, against the notion that you have to have the highest standards in medicine. And I think this has two potential negative deleterious impacts. Number one is maybe it discourages some of the best people from entering medicine to begin with. Or maybe some of the best people say, you know what, I, I want to be the best of the best, and this is not a system that is encouraging that. But then also... Maybe it allows people who are less qualified or less able uh, or less good at doing the job of being a doctor. It lets them get through the process. And then you have doctors who just aren't as good who are taking care of your health care and your parents' health care and your, your family's health care. And that really makes a difference in people's lives. You go into some of the work uh, of um, Abigail Schreier's in your piece. Uh, a lot of this audience knows of Abigail Schreier's work, Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze, Seducing Our Daughters. This issue is interesting in medicine now, too. Could we pick up on that just a little bit on the other side of the break? Sure. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Tevi Troy. Here's a little Neil Sadaka music for you on the way out. Neil Sadaka's still around. We'll be right back because we'll be still around as well. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. We're talking to historian Tevi Troy, also knows a lot about medicine, having uh, 
been uh, the second highest official in the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, Deputy Secretary, and his piece on uh, the wokeness uh, challenge to medicine in the current issue of Commentary magazine. Tevi, uh, this 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 work that Abigail Schreier has done, you mention it in your essay as well, Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. This issue has changed a lot in medicine as well in the way it's thought about. Uh, mutual acquaintance of ours, I'm not sure if he is yours. I think you know Wilford Riley, Professor Riley. He's often on this show. He tweeted out today, why is gender dysphoria the only major mental condition which is treated by telling the patient that what they believe is correct? Boy, Abby uh, wrote a little bit about this and did the uh, did the rooftops fall on her, huh? Yeah, she definitely got pushed back. Her book got canceled so to speak, but on the other hand, it got a lot more attention for her book. Yeah. <laughs> so she probably sold more copies. So, uh, so sometimes Thank you, to, Joe Rogan, though, right? Right. Sometimes the way to deal with this is to, is to lean in. Yeah. Uh, you know, our friend uh, Ryan Anderson in Ethics and Public Policy, he also had the same thing with his book, uh, Getting So-Called Canceled, and uh, he got a lot more sales as a result. Yeah, so, no, th- there's... Sometimes they just give it attention. Yeah, no, I, that's that's exactly right. Uh, talk to me, I mean, this th- and this reaches far and wide. It's not just in, I don't know, whatever the woke journals are these days. I suppose most of them, <laughs> actually. The yeah, <laughs> yeah, starting at the New York, yeah, good point. But, but, but even in Scientific American, right? Even the Scientific American. Talk, say a word about that and what they've done uh, with respect to, well, their views on foreign policy and medicine, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they put out a statement about the Israel-Palestine conflict, and they it, it was a completely biased statement, and it, uh, it, it uh, you know, excoriated Israel, as uh, done often on, on the woke left these days. Um, and, you know, it's just not their place to do it. I, I don't know why they're weighing on this. Is it a medical issue? Is it a scientific issue? I don't know what it is. And, you know, there was some pushback, and then they, they pulled it down. But what was the inclination to do it in the first place? Right. So I think scientific issues should be dealt with in scientific ways, and, and I just don't think that you need to bring politics into these scientific explorations because it distorts end result. Getting back to our friend John Rausch's point, if you can't have honest inquiry you're not going to get good results. You're not going to get new innovations, and you're not going to get life-saving treatments and therapies. Has have you know? You used to do polls of who who's the most trusted, what institutions, what professions are the most trusted. <clears throat> Doctors were always up there. You think that's going to take a hit here, especially when you see the kind of stuff you write about, like well all of what you write about, but also the kind of thing where physicians in the five figures come together to sign group letters saying that COVID requires isolation and uh, not, not, not large congregate gatherings indoors or outdoors unless, 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 unless it's to fight the equally problematic issue of racism. I mean, this is the kind of thing I would think I would think diminishes the reputation of doctors and physicians. On the other hand, given the world, and de- and depending on where you fall along the lines that you and I have outlined here, the contours, are we there yet? Given the world, may- maybe it increases uh, in a certain population or subpopulation the esteem of physicians. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a slight distinction in here. And what I'm trying to argue in the article is when it comes to doctors, I would say not yet. I don't think doctors have taken the hit. And, and again, I don't think that these things dominate American medicine yet, but I'm worried about them. But the public health community, which includes doctors, 
but is broader. It has uh, public health bureaucrats and hospital administrators and nurses and all people who weigh in on public health. And Dr. Fauci, I guess, would be a perfect example in that he's both an MD, but he's also a public health official. So the public health officials, I think, have taken a hit because there's a sense that politics infects their thinking, as you were saying, with that, the so-called the infamous BLM letter. For months we had heard, this is from, let's say, April or March uh, till late May of 2020, don't gather, don't go to religious uh, don't go to religious services. Avoid large don't crowds. Together, yeah. right, don't get together to protest lockdowns. Right. Any person who's getting together is killing people. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And then suddenly we have these mass demonstrations, which, yes, included violent rioting uh, on, on the BLM front. And then a thousand, over a thousand public health officials signed this letter saying it's okay to gather for this purpose. Yeah. And it was outrageous. And I think it really hit the credibility of the public health community. And it's not just a couple of conservatives, you and me saying that stuff. There's a guy named Harold Pollack, who's a friend of mine, who's a liberal at the um, University of Chicago, who's a public health expert, who said that public health is losing its ability to talk to conservatives because of the way they bring politics together. I have a friend, a uh, retired physician, who subscribes to every medical journal he can. He says every journal has woke articles in every single issue. Tevi Troy, can you stay with us? I want to do Superman with you. Can you do Superman with me? Absolutely. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our guest is Tevi Troy. And aside from being a me- uh, an expert in uh, public health uh, policy, he's, uh, as I said, a presidential but also a cultural historian. And uh, I wanted to get your take on something I know you love as a layman or used to. And that was Superman. They've changed the motto, Tevi. They've changed the motto from truth, justice, and the American way to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. There's a lot in that point in and of itself alone. This would shock, I would believe, the creators of Superman. And that may be the smallest part of it. But your thoughts on that part of it? Yeah, really. I mean, (laughs) of all the problems with this, and there are many uh, shocking the creators, I think, is least among them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm always looking at original intent. I'm always looking at the purpose of, you know, and I would, and you know a little bit of this history. The creators yeah, of Superman, as I understand it, loved America and thought America was the safe place for people under threat abroad. Yeah, especially since they, they were both Jewish kids in Cleveland and they, uh, their relatives were facing uh, peril in Europe uh, from the Nazi horror. And, uh, you know, they, they saw America as a symbol and a beacon of freedom around the world. So there's two major problems with this. Number one is, first of all, there is no problem with a nation celebrating its heroes. <laughs> the, the, the Chinese government, which I abhor, uh, has these series of movies called Wolf Warrior, where the uh, Chinese super agent kills British and American operatives, and the Chinese people cheer, and nobody's saying there's a problem with that. I mean, uh, I, again, I, you know, I, I totally disagree with their system, and it's really problematic. But you know, nations celebrate their heroes, even if their heroes are a little skewed, in, in my view. Uh, but second, there's something special about the United States of America in that it has been a symbol of freedom for oppressed people everywhere, and that Superman, it makes a difference that Superman landed in Kansas yeah. and not in Kia. Yeah. And the fact that Superman... Yeah. Or Manhattan. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. But, uh, you know, Superman not only was 
trying to protect America and Americans, but he was trying to protect the world. I mean, he did, uh, in his early days, uh, fight fascism in terms of uh, in, in World War II, and, and that's a good thing, and he was on the right side in the Cold War, and he should continue to do those things to try and spread freedom and liberty around the world. And, and I just completely reject this notion of taking the American away and the, Amer- the American way away from Superman because it is such a core aspect of his identity, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating. I, um, I, you know, another aspect in, of Superman, I guess, is they've they've now turned him into a, a gay character. And Dean Cain, who played Superman, was asked about that. He had the line of the day, I think, or the line of the week on this. He'll probably never act again. But he said, uh, making Superman gay isn't heroic. What would be heroic was would be to have Superman fly to Iran and save homosexuals from being killed by the regime for being homosexuals. What would be heroic would be if they had Superman fly to China to save the Uyghurs uh, that are presently uh, enslaved and whose products, uh, you know, are, 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 are used to sell Nike shoes. That would be heroic. I think he had the Good right point. Him. I mean, yep. those things would be heroic. I mean, there is evil in this world, and it's worth talking about. It's worth fighting against. But that evil is not emanating from the United States of America, and I'm just kind of tired of it. So I think it is time to push back for truth, justice, and the American way. And I think Superman should do it. And if DC is not going to have Superman do it, well, look, there's a reason people aren't buying comics like they used to anymore. And there's a reason, i got to say, that DC movies are just not as good as the Marvel movies. Right. I mean, all this political nonsense brings it down, tears it down, and makes people not want to watch it. Do, uh, who, are, who, what, 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 who are some of the Marvels as opposed to the DC? I know the DC ones. What would be cons- what would constitute? Well, uh, Iron Man? Iron Man, Iron Captain Man. America, yeah, 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 Iron Man, yeah. Thor, Hulk. Oh, they're much better. Oh, those are much better movies. I love, the, uh, I, yeah, I, I love Captain America. I, I love what he said about uh, <laughs> he was given his suit and he said, are you sure I should wear this? It seems a little old-fashioned. He was told we could use a little old-fashioned right now. I love that. Yeah, that's great stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Marvel movies are just clearly better. Uh, but I think DC is taking itself even down a peg further by going in this woke direction and rejecting the idea that Superman's credo. I mean, it's, it's not like there's something minor to his character. Right. He's always been for truth, justice, in the American way, and I just don't think that they should remove that from who he is. By the way, there's an implicit denial that you can have a better tomorrow in America. Hope, growth, and opportunity is out if you have to replace America with a better tomorrow. It means, by dint of replacing America with a better tomorrow that you're not going to have a better tomorrow with America. I mean, there's a well, lot, what is it, right? What is it that uh, Ronald Reagan said? I believe that for America, the best day will always lie ahead. Yeah, yeah. That is a better tomorrow right there. And something Superman and his creators, his, 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 his original creators probably agreed with, too. Agreed with, too. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And when you think about, that's why I kind of was interested in, in, in his creators and what, what, what they may have thought about such a thing. Because they did love this country, and they loved it not only because, as Lincoln said about Clay, it was their country, but because it showed that in this country people could be free. And as Reagan put it, borrow again, you know, this was the place people had a, could flee to, right? And his, his, his recapturing of that Cuban immigrants dialogue with the Americans here in his time for Jesus' speech, right? He's, they're talking to a Cuban immigrant, and the Americans are saying how lucky we are because he was describing what was going on under Castro, and the Cuban says, how lucky I was. How lucky you are. I had a place to come to. Well, we're ending that place as the beacon. We're ending that place when we take away Superman and his credo, I think. 
I, I would just watch the pronoun. Now, you say we. I would say it is they at DC Comics. We still recognize America as the beacon. We still celebrate America as a symbol of freedom, and we will continue to do so, and we're going to fight back against this stuff. That's what it's all about. You're correcting me on my pronouns use on what you may not know <laughs> is International Pronoun Day. Did you know today was International Pronoun Day? So I take the lesson. <laughs> I take the lesson from you. Well this done. Kind of pronoun lesson <laughs> Have you ever heard more about pronouns since the eighth grade in the last year than you've heard. <laughs> Tevi Troy, you are a, um, a blessing uh, as a friend, and you're a blessing to these airwaves. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's uh, great to hear you. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. The Stars and Stripes, a little old-fashioned. Everything that's happening, the things that are about to come to light, people might just need a little old-fashioned. Spend, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. If you're on hold, there are a few on hold. Call back tomorrow. Let us know you're on hold and you can get on. We'll put you right on. I usually close with uh, – well, let me close a little bit differently today. I spoke earlier uh, of, on the show about someone a uh, another radio station interviewed today, uh, a radio station that, uh, shall we say, is endowed by the public government, <laughs> by the federal government. And um, they were telling the story of a young man in his early 20s who – I think it was in California. I could be wrong. But a young man who um, used to wrap vehicles for a living and how he can't get work. He's out of work. Can't find work. Can't find work. And I was telling the story and um, just difference between this audience and, and, be, and, and, and that radio stations <laughs> and I think maybe just the character of that station versus this kind of station. Immediately after I told that, I got this email from a listener here who's in the sign and imaging business, and he said, um, if you can reach that young man, have him connect with me. I can hook him up with a job. I can hook him up with a job. What do you want to wage? No one wrote such an email to that radio station. I know they can't call in. They're not interested in what the callers have to say or the listeners in that respect. I know that. But that's the kind of audience this is. They heard of a problem, someone they probably don't even agree with on any level of politi pol politics. <laughs> They'll give them a job. Yeah. You understand the dignity of all this, don't you? You're a beautiful audience. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.